Well, cool. For this first time, I've ever had notes up here that somebody got down here exactly what I need to preach on. That's cool. Got them. Ready to go. Uh, by the way, if you're a visitor here this morning, we, we do try to do everything according to the Word of God. If it's not in the Bible, we don't want it. If it is in the Bible, we want it. And uh, this morning, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture uh, to go with this whole theme of no regrets, resurrection. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one real quick. Just take out your smartphone, cut off, you know, put it on silence. We don't want to hear the, the distraction, but... And download the version app. The version app, if you'll download that real quick. Once you get it downloaded in the bottom right corner, hit more. Then you'll see the tab events, hit events. And you'll see New Covenant Church come up. And all, almost all the scripture I'm going to use is going to be listed right there for you. So that you can follow along and have it. Um, and we do that week to week just so that you... You have the scripture available to you. Now I want you to think about the resurrection and the benefits and the blessing <clears throat> that uh, that is for us. What if you could live your life, do all you wanted to do, see all you wanted to see, experience all you wanted to see, and die with no regret? You've seen it all, you've done it all, you've said it all. Wouldn't it be cool if we could have that kind of life. The resurrection of Christ enables us to have that. And I think many people have missed the power and the encouragement that's truly given to us in Christ through His resurrection and the power that that resurrection brings us. It brings us a life of no regret. Um, Patty and I both have parents that uh, have passed away and we were able to pray with them and talk with them before they passed on. So we're 100% confident they were Christians and died as Christians. So where are they now? When you have that scenario, where are they? Are they, number one, are they asleep? in the grave, awaiting Christ's return and a resurrection? Are they, number two, floating around the throne of God in heaven, caught up in constant, continual singing and praise? Or number three, are they invigorated, enlivened, rejuvenated, resurrected to a life of enjoyment and exhilaration and achievement and discovery, all to the glory and pleasure of God. I hope you see I stacked it. I like the third option. I really like the third option. And there are a lot of people who don't preached the third option, and I wasn't one that really got it for a long time either. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I want to try to unpack some of this for you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It's a quote from the Old Testament, brought into the New Testament and enlarged. You've heard it before. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, Just as it is written, meaning it's, it's in the Old Testament, but then Paul adds to it. 
1 Corinthians 2, 9. Things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. So it's pretty plain, the passage is about stuff God has prepared for us, and no matter how you unpack this, it's pretty clear that it's strongly implied that there is no such thing as a boring, ho-hum heaven. He says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard all that God has prepared for us. That language lends itself, there's just no way what God has prepared is going to bore you. There's no way it's, you're going to say, ah, ho-hum, you know, bory. That's not going to happen. That's plain from the passage. We're not just going to be sleeping, twiddling our thumbs, thinking, oh, wonder when something good's going to happen. And yet that sometimes is the view that many people have taken in as what happens at death for the believer. And that's not at all, I think, what happens at death for the believer. Let's, let's kind of give a, let me give you a little history. Let's start with Sheol. Destiny is Sheol. Sheol in the old, was the Old Testament term for the place of the dead, the place of the abode of the dead, the, the place you would go. Look at Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. That's where we're supposed to descend upon death. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. In the Old Testament, you frequently see the, the word Sheol. When you get to the New Testament, it changes to Hades, same place. Two words for the same place, Sheol or Hades. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So uh, there you have the implication that David is saying, when I die, my body's in the grave, but you won't abandon my soul. You're going to hold on to my soul. It will rest there in Sheol, but it won't be there forever, which has given many people the idea that, okay, our, our, our bodies are in the grave, our souls go to Sheol, and they are there until God resurrects them. And that's where you would get that uh, theology from. Sheol is not a neutral place. It's not a place that believer and unbeliever hang out and talk together until the resurrection. It's, it's a divided place. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 22 through 28. Here you have the story of Lazarus and rich men and the rich man as um, uh, two representatives that are in Sheol, but as I told you, in the New Testament, it changes to the, the, the name Hades. Luke 16, verse 22, says, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus 
so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Uh, one of the things you see there is God is not a second chance God after death. It's Lazarus and the rich man, their place is fixed. And there's a chasm fixed between them. They're in Hades and or Sheol. That's where people went until Christ and the resurrection. This is where Christ went on the day of his crucifixion when he told the, the rich man, I mean the, 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 the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Christ descends into Hades. He comes and he rescues his believers that were there. Um, he doesn't come for the rich man here who stays in this place of eternal torment. Says there's, there's a chasm fixed. You don't get transferred after death. So believing on Christ before death is crucial. But you see this place that's going to be uh, a place of great reward, you see this place of great torment. Now, I quoted for you in your handout the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The Westminster Shorter Catechism was written in the 1600s, the 50 so uh, or, or so um, men were all preachers and teachers from various denominations and got together, wrote down what they believed. And this is the statement they believed about this death, uh, Shorter Catechism 37. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. Hebrews 12, 2 Corinthians 5, Philippians 1, Luke 23. And their bodies being still united to Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4, do rest in their graves, Isaiah 57, till the resurrection, Job 19. That's the belief I was raised with. That's the belief of many. There are three popular views, and all three views are very respectable because they all end up in the same place. It's just a matter of timing. They all end up in the same place, and that is believers end up glorified. Believers are not abandoned. Believers are still united to Christ. And you see that even with Lazarus, still is held on to, and he's in a place of, of, of great joy, whereas the unbeliever is in a place of great torment. But the three views are this. Number one, uh, at death, you lie in your grave. You, you sleep. You're, you're disembodied. Your body deteriorates, but your soul lies in the grave until a later time. Second view is a temporary body, that God gives you a temporary body so you can move about the cabin, 
you know, move in heaven and um, participate in what's going on there. And then the third view is that God gives us resurrected, glorified bodies upon death in Christ. Like I said, all three views uh, gain a great measure of respect and be, people simply disagree over the timing. But we all embrace the reality of the resurrection, that it's significant, it does much for us. I want to keep us thinking through that. What is, what's the view of Christ? What's the view of Scripture? Look at Luke chapter 24, and I think Christ goes to some significant extremes at times to explain that he is not a disembodied spirit. This is post-resurrection. Christ has died, buried, resurrected. And so he teaches us about himself there. Look at Luke 24, verse 36 through 43. Luke 24, 36 through 43. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they were seeing a spirit. He is standing. Does spirit stand? I don't know. We don't typically think so. He says he stood among them, and they say, a spirit. Looks like a ghost. Jesus clears that up, verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do, you, do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, look at my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me. Do you touch spirits? Touch me. And see, and he explains, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So Christ is clearly saying, what you are witnessing is a bodily resurrection. Look at me, see me, touch me, come on, get close, and you'll see. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. The spirits eat and drink. Again, you see him going to these extremes. I want you to see that what is before you is a real bodily resurrection. I am the one who was on the cross in the flesh. It was a real flesh experience. See the piercing in my hands, my feet, my side. You can come and touch me, you can feel me, you can watch me eat and drink with you. I want you to know that I am your resurrected King and Lord, your Savior, but I'm also here with bone and flesh. And pretty awesome to think through what that means. Look with me at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 29 through 36. I love this passage, Peter preaching. I wish my first sermon could have been this good. This is good stuff. 
Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, 29 through 36, he says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you, so he's, he's read the scripture, he's read from the book of Joel, and he starts expounding the text. He says, I, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne. He looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. You remember that? That was Psalm 16. We just read it earlier. And David has, uh, excuse me, Peter has read that text, and he says, Psalm 16 was written by David. You know that, right? And he says, and so, David was, was, when he was writing Psalm 16, the Holy Spirit was telling him what to put in the Bible, and he was not talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus. And he was looking ahead to the resurrection of Christ when he made the statement, my soul will not be abandoned to Hades. David knew very well that his soul would be in Hades. But he also knew that Christ's soul would not stay in Hades. It would not be abandoned to Hades. And so he looked ahead to Christ and he gives us this glorious message that Christ, when he dies and he's buried, his soul goes to Hades, but it doesn't stay there. It's not abandoned there. And he goes on. Uh, uh, verse 31, it won't be abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Peter said, I saw him, I touched him. We're all witnesses. He did not stay in the grave. He was not abandoned to Hades. Verse 33, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Notice what he said there in... Um, Verse 34, it says, It was not David who ascended. Where's Christ? He ascended into heaven. He, he descended into Hades. And he wasn't abandoned in Hades. He's not there now. And David knew it wasn't himself that he was talking about. It was Christ. And not only is he not in Hades, David also knew it was not him that was ascending to heaven. It was Christ. So he goes to Hades, and he ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's resurrected. He's in heaven to be our King, our Lord, and our Redeemer. There's Peter's sermon to the folks to, to realize the significance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Um, the Old Testament saints, they... They couldn't die and go to heaven. Lazarus couldn't die and go to heaven because death had not been unlocked. 
Sin had not been destroyed. Satan had not been conquered. And so their souls were waiting in this place called Hades or Sheol, waiting for a Savior, waiting for someone to defeat Satan, to defeat the powers of sin, to curse darkness, to unlock death in the grave. And Peter said, do you understand that's what Christ just did? No one before him was able to ascend to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But Christ has done it. That's the game changer. The resurrection is the game changer. And it changes everything, which is why it's so significant that we, 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 we celebrate it. Well, let's, let's think through that pragmatically. Again, go back to the illustration kind of started with. Uh, recently, some of you who've uh, enjoyed the ministry of R.C. Sproul, is if you read the recent table talk, one of the first lines was, R.C. Sproul has gone on to be with the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean for a believer to have gone on to be with the Lord? Look at with me, Philippians Chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Philippians 1. The Apostle Paul, old man that he was as he was writing this, says he was in prison, thought he was going to die. He says, for, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Actually, it's better, he says. If, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I, I, I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that's very much better. I want to be like R.C. Sproul. I want to go on and be with Christ. Where is he? He's, he's with the Lord. And as Paul is contemplating that, it's like that, that scenario where you say, I have the right to die, right? Can I, can I get some drugs? Can I get the needle? Can I, can I just go on? And Paul says, to go on, I would be with the Lord. That's pretty cool. But God put me here for a reason. I have still ministry. I have purpose. I have significance. He says, I need to stay. But in the midst of understanding that he needed to live the life God had given him, until God took life, we are not to murder. We're not to destroy our own lives. Paul understood that. In the midst of that struggle, he said, but when I do die, I will be with the Lord. He says it more explicitly in 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. If you have that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer, rather, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So he's talking about his human flesh that, that we all possess here this morning. He says, if I'm in this flesh, if my soul, my spirit 
as long as it's contained in this body, I'm not with the Lord. I'm absent. But as soon as this body dies, then I'm with the Lord. It doesn't here talk about the glorified body. He talks about that uh, in other places. But he says, the implications, he's writing after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Peter was writing after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And they both are saying, resurrection was a game changer. Now, when we die, we are with the Lord. We're immediately with the Lord. And what a blessed situation and condition that is for us to be with the Lord. Um, You know, uh, as I think about the Apostle Paul, you, you, you probably, most of you know the story, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it talked about Paul being called up to the third heaven. And he, he says he sees things no man has ever seen. And he comes back, and he's excited. He wants to share that. God says, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. God, Paul says, I've seen it now. I'm going to share it, you know, kind of. God says, no, thorn in the flesh, bam. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh is, but Paul says, God had to afflict me to hold me back. He says, I have seen things no man has seen, and yet I'm still on the earth. And all that God lets him say is, I has not seen and ear has not heard all that I have prepared. Paul's like, this is so good. I prefer to be there. I want to be there. When I die, I'm there. He's all in for resurrection. Because God's given. It's like, it's like going to a restaurant and you get to talk to somebody who's already eaten the food. And they say, oh no, don't get this, get this. This is really good. You say, yes, I got inside information. And that's what Paul is giving us. So I've, I've been there, seen it. Trust me on this. You, you won't imagine all that God has. I can't wait to be with the Lord. That's where Paul was. That's where Peter was. Let me take you to another of the apostles. Look at John chapter, well, it's John, but it's chapter 1 of Revelation. John also wrote the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. This book is where it began to, un- to unfold for me. Look at John, uh, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. It says, When I saw him, this is John's experience of seeing the resurrected Christ. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, resurrection. I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Now notice the significance of that. John says, I'm I'm seeing Christ. You know, he's scared again. And Christ puts his hand on him somewhere and says, Look, feel me, touch me, I'm real. You're real, this is a real experience. 
But you died. Aren't you supposed to be in the grave? Aren't you supposed to be in Hades? Why does he say, I got two keys? It's like this question, this is the Old Testament believer. They understood at death, they, they went and their soul was in Hades. And Jesus comes to John and says, good news, I got the keys to both. Death and Hades. I can unlock both of these. Great news for them. Look over at Revelation 20. You get the, the thrill of Christ doing something with this. Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. You, you just get the, the impression, Christ, I can't wait to be done with death and Hades. And I want to cast them into hell with everyone else that's there. Because there is no more death and Hades for my church. I am the power and the resurrection. I have the keys to death and Hades. So he convinces John of that. He's convinced Paul of that. He's convinced Peter of that. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Talks about Christ having this power, and he has it as a first fruit. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 20. There's no section of Scripture longer on the resurrection than 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. He says, but now, like, I didn't have a chance to read all before, but now, now that you get Christ is raised, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So you've had these souls asleep in Hades and Sheol up till now. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The key is, are we in Christ? Each, verse 23, in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Christ says, I've died. I've defeated death. I have the keys of death. And I've also defeated Hades. I've rise, and all who are in me rise with me. Look over at verse 50. Now, I, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Now, what's the last trumpet? If you read the book of Revelation, there are seven trumpets. You would think maybe the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet, but you have to come to my discipleship class for that, okay? That's a long story. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, 
And we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Just like, you're going to die, but the body you've got now, the flesh and blood you've got now, that's not going to heaven. So I'm going to give you a new body. I'm going to take the perishable, it's gonna, I'm going to let it perish. And I'm going to give you an imperishable body. You're going to be transformed, you're going to be changed. I'm going to keep your soul and I'm going to give that soul a new body. Look at Philippians 3, how he talks about it there. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. A little bit different word, verse 20 of Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. My citizenship is not here. I already have a place in heaven. I'm a citizen there. So that's where our citizenship is. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, what's he going to do when Christ comes to get us? Verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So when Christ comes to get us, he says he's going to transform our bodies. And how, what's he going to do with them? He's going to bring them into conformity with the body of his glory. That's why John says in 1 John 3, he says, when I see him, I will be like him. Because my body will be transformed to be like his glorious body. He has the power. He's proven it by rising from the dead. He has the power to do this, Paul says. To transform us, to, to, to unlock death, to unlock Hades, to transform us to be like him in this glorious body. Well... One more passage, and I'll kind of wrap, well, not one more, excuse me. I've got, you know, more than one. But One more major section I haven't taken you to. Look at John chapter 20. Jesus with his disciples after the resurrection, trying to teach and effectively teaching this, this glorious message of how things change with his resurrection. John chapter 20 at verse 19, so when uh, it was evening on that day, we've already read about him coming, and they were startled in the morning now. It's evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus could, came and he stood. Well, we read about it in Luke. Here it is in John. He stood in the midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And, he had, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see, I mean, you can just imagine the scenario. Unless I see the hands, the imprint, all that. They've already said, Thomas, we saw the Lord. Yeah, yeah, right. 
No, no, no. We really saw the Lord. We touched him. He showed us his hands. We touched it. He showed us his side. We touched it. He showed us his feet. We touched him. Tom, yeah. I'll believe it when I get to touch the hand. When I get to touch the feet. When I get to, then I'm all in. So Jesus says, okay. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, because Jesus knows all things. He already knew that dialogue. He says, Reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here with your hand. Put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. You're the same one. You're the same one I saw crucified. You're the same one I saw entombed. And now you're resurrected and you're real. You're not locked in the grave. You're not in death. You're not in Hades. You're a real bodily person before me. And you're my Lord. And you're my God. Christ wanted him to get a true and genuine picture of his resurrected body. And then he goes on into chapter 21, giving us even more experiences uh, that he has. You know, before we get there, notice Jesus stands. He's with them. He's touched. He's embraced. Uh, he's seen. Uh, look down in chapter 21, and you get to 21 and... Uh, instead of being in a locked room, now they're now out on the Sea of Galilee. Chapter 21, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias, another name for Galilee. Sea of Tiberias, and he, himself, and, and he manifested himself in this way. Verse 2, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll come also. They went out and they all got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Get the physical language. Standing on the beach. He's not floating. He's not mystically flying in. It's not a mist that they see. He's physically standing on the beach. Yet the disciples, it tells us in a minute, he's about 100 yards out. I can rarely, barely see stuff 100 yards out. So they, they didn't quite know who he was. Verse 5, so Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? They said, mm, you know, fishermen, no, you know, not success. Verse 6, he said to them, go cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. So Simon Peter heard that he was the Lord. He put his garment on. He was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards, and dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it. And Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and he drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Why? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took bread, and he gave it to them. And the fish likewise gave it to them. Let's eat breakfast together. Now this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. All of these experiences after the resurrection, he says, I want you to get the fact that I have this new glorified body. I can still eat. I can still smell. I can still touch. I can still stand. I can still do adventure. I can still fish. I can cook. I can do all of these things because I've unlocked death and Hades and I've ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty and I've come to manifest myself to you so that you get it and you understand the power of my resurrection to transform you and give you this life with me. This clear message. So what does all this mean? I've given you three applications. Number one, what does it mean? Number one, no bucket lists are necessary. You go to a funeral. Let's call it Sally's funeral. I'm sorry if there's any Sally's here. I didn't think there would be. Let's call it Sally's funeral. You go to Sally's funeral and somebody, you hear them talking in the funeral parlor. Oh, it's so sad Sally, Sally's died. You know, she always wanted to see the canyon. She didn't get to see it. She always wanted to, to go back again and visit Uncle Joe. And she didn't get to go visit Uncle Joe. She always wanted to taste this, do this, do that. That was on her bucket list before she died. And she didn't get to do it. And folks, that just proved to me we don't get the resurrection of Christ. That is so crazy of a view that somehow by dying in Christ, I'm assuming Sally's a Christian, somehow dying in Christ, Sally misses it. Sally somehow has a boring, ho-hum existence now, and life is really more miserable now in her death than it was in her life. And that is not the view of Scripture. The view of Scripture is if Sally wants to taste, she can still taste. If she wants to travel, she can still travel. If she wants to see the canyon, she can still see the canyon. There's so much for her being transformed in body to be like Christ. We need to see the, the world's caught in this old view and they don't see the glory of us in Christ. The glory, the power of the resurrection for us. She can go skinny dipping with Peter in the Tiberius Sea if she wants to. 
all of these experiences were Christ after the resurrection, they can be ours after the resurrection. There's no loss of pleasure bodily dying in Christ. It's not the end of adventure. It's not the end of travel. It's not the end of excitement. It's not the end of achievements. It's not the end of discoveries. It's not the end of any of the bodily pleasures that God wants to give us. So we're not going to miss out. It's not going to be a missed opportunity to die and be with the Lord. Or, or, or Paul wouldn't have said so many times, oh, I, wish, I wish I could go ahead. Actually, I'm missing the opportunity by staying here. There's so much more opportunity ahead. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. All that is for us in Christ. Second, no fear of death is necessary when you get this. You don't need to bucket list. You don't need to fear death. No fear of death. You know, we, we fear death because we think somehow we're going to be separated from our bodies. And we're going to be in this state of misery. And I don't really think that's what Scripture teaches us. We're going to be in a state of glory. Where are we going to be when you die? It says, to die is to be immediately where the Lord. Where's the Lord? Is the Lord abandoned to Hades? No. So why should we be abandoned there? If I'm going to be immediately with the Lord, where's the Lord? He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. He is in heaven. So to go and be with the Lord... It puts me in a place I don't have to fear at all. This is not a miserable place to be with the Lord and to be in heaven. And I'm going to be like him, both body and spirit. Uh, one of the popular passages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let me just take the timing of the coming off the table. No need to get into that controversy to understand what's going on here. 1 Thessalonians 4, I've read many times, many funerals, says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, meaning those who died. Those who die ahead of you, that's why it's read at funerals. So you have a loved one, they've already died, Aunt Sally has died. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about Aunt Sally. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. People who have no hope, they don't get the resurrection. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and was resurrected and rose again, if you believe that, even so, God will bring with him, stop and circle with him, you get it. Even so, God will bring with him, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, regardless of when you think Christ's coming is, like I said, take that off the table. What's going to happen at Christ's coming, according to this passage? He is going to bring with him. Who's he going to bring? Aunt Sally. Where is Aunt Sally? Aunt Sally must be with him. To die is to be with the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be with the Lord. And it says when Christ comes, he's already got people with him. 
That's why you should not be sad for Aunt Sally. That's why you should not fear death is because when you die, Aunt Sally died and she's already with him. So you don't need to grieve. She gets it. And she gets all the benefits and privileges of being with him. So cool. And he is Christ. And he is resurrected. And Christ can say, hey, bring some fish. Let's do breakfast together. There are those kinds of pleasures in his presence at his right hand. David says it would be pleasures forevermore. So why would we fear death when we realize to be absent from the body is to be immediately with the Lord? And he brings us with him whenever he comes or returns again. So third, no defeated attitude is necessary. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. And for the new culture, the new culture, okay, that's punctual for praise... You heard this this morning when the celebration choir was back here and they were singing this song, Death is Ended. It's swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up. In victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin, the power sins, the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, say this with me Christ conquers death. Say that. Christ conquers death. I want that to sink in. Embrace it, feel it. Hear it. Christ conquers death. What was my application? No defeat. No defeated attitude is necessary. We die, and somebody again says, Oh, it's so tragic. Aunt Sally died so young. So tragic. Because she didn't get to do this, 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 and this. Stop and think about what, that, what you just said. Christ conquers death. You've bought into a view that death conquers your dreams, your aspirations, your achievements, your opportunities. That's not what the Bible said. It said Christ conquers death. It didn't say death conquers us. But it says, we are in Christ, and in Christ, death is swallowed up. So that death doesn't conquer our dreams. It doesn't conquer our hopes. It doesn't keep us from our achievements and our, our, our joys, our excitement, our uh, pleasures. In Christ, we are triumphant. We are victorious over death. And all death does for the unbeliever, we're victorious 
over that. We have so much more opportunity to, to develop, to learn, to grow, to achieve, to explore. If my lack of excitement offends you, it's only because my faith needs to grow. There's so much more. You know, instead of bucket lists, pre-death bucket lists, I'm thinking we need some post-death bucket lists. What are you going to do when you die? Dream big. If you're in Christ, I'm going to be with him, yes. And he's created so much for you to do here. Just imagine. Well, it's, it's hard to imagine. I know it's so big. It's so great. No, I've seen no ears even heard. We can barely imagine. But I can't imagine what he's allowed me to do here. And if what he's going to allow me to do there is even bigger, what's the bucket list? God, I always wanted to see the canyon. I always wanted to see holy places. I always wanted to run through a field that had no thorns and no briars and no snakes. I always wanted to lay down with the lamb and not be bitten. What's on your bucket list? God, I want to build things. I want to dream. I want to, I want to go places. He says, I gave you this little earth. He says, but you know I've created galaxies and stars, and I've named them all one by one. You can't believe all I can show you for your pleasure. And God just might choose to show it off, to display His glory and His majesty and His splendor. Long sermon, I'm sorry. I gave you a passage of scripture or a passage of creed that I disagreed with. It took me a long time to get there. From the Westminster Saints. I don't like disagreeing with them. But I go back now to a creed that predates them that I was raised with. In the 300s instead of the 1600s. And though none of the apostles wrote it, you know it as the Apostles' Creed. And it comes from their era, so to speak. As that creed was being formed, there were people alive who had great-granddaddies who knew the Apostles. And this creed has been made, and it's in our church, and it's been with us a long time. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He's a maker of, of much in heaven that he, he has made for us. I believe in him, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into Hades. And the third day he arose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from there he will come to judge the quick and the dead I believe in the Holy Spirit the universal church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the what resurrection 
of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious thing it is to be sons of the resurrection, to be daughters of the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. May we exalt you. May we rejoice in you. May we have life the world is yet to see, abundant, rich, and free, not needing a bucket list to make it better, having no fear of death, having only praise and excitement for our resurrected Redeemer. Father, for those who've yet to see the life that could be theirs in Christ, oh Lord, draw them. Let them see, let them receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior right now, this place, that they may have hope 